from pandemics to shortages, from inflation to, well, even rigged elections. It's been quite a two-year run. We're going to talk about that today on this edition of Truth to Ponder. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. The other night as I was going to bed, I was planning ahead on what to, to talk about on today's edition of Truth to Ponder. This is the weekend edition, and we get some extra listeners over the three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for this particular broadcast. There are a number of people that don't get a chance to listen to the other four days, Monday through Thursday. And I was thinking, what can I talk about this weekend? I really felt there's something that needs to be said. I started thinking about these past two years, where we have been, where we may be going, All the things that have transpired, so much of it you would never have believed two years ago. Two years ago. The end of December of 2019, my wife Lori and I were up in our home in Georgia and getting ready to come back to Florida to spend time with family in Florida. I was also diligently putting together Uh, everything that was going to be needed for a meeting of clergy within my church body. And we were going to be holding that somewhere like in St. Augustine. And so at the end of December, the idea of this pandemic and everything else that has transpired, even even all the the things that happened with the 2020 election, they weren't even on the radar screen. I was thinking about what would be happening Uh, toward the latter part of February when we'd be gathering in St. Augustine. And we got back to Florida about the 10th or 11th of January and we were beginning to work on this project uh, for for what we were going to do in February. But all of a sudden on the news we started hearing a little bit more about this thing called a pandemic that might occur. All of a sudden, the story started ramping up, coming out of China. And then all then we added Italy to that. And things were becoming a little bit you know, concerning for many people. What did we know back then? A lot of us have learned a tremendous amount during these past two years. We have gone through a time unprecedented, at least in my lifetime, in reacting to was becoming a global plague. And here we are now, two years later, looking at the end of this pandemic. I don't care what anybody says. This pandemic is played out. The narrative is falling apart. And even some very notorious and draconian governors in the United States, premiers in Canada and others around the world are beginning to get the message, we've taken this about as far as we can go. There's still a few that are trying to hold on. They're still trying to hold on to the narrative just a little bit longer. And I can't understand why. Well, yeah, I can. Number one, they they crave the power that they have received during this pandemic. They crave the control. They think they're doing something positive when it's really negative. They have become more self-important than they ever have been before. And I was thinking two years ago, two years ago this weekend, I had a phone call that came to me from a person I had worked with in emergency management. 
saying, have you been following the news at all? Have you seen anything about this, this virus coming out of China? And I said, yeah, I've seen a story here and there. He said, man, it's going to get worse. There's no doubt about it. I've got information in front of me that is being pushed out to emergency managers to prepare for something we've never seen before. And he asked me if I would be uh, considering coming out of retirement and helping with their planning in the place that he was working. And I said, you know, if it's really going to be that bad, of course, how long do you need me? Well, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. We don't know. We just know something big is going to happen, and I need to make sure the county in which I serve is as prepared as we can be. I didn't think much of it. I thought, eh, it might happen, it might not, because you don't know. What did we know two years ago? We started seeing these stories popping into the news about something far away that had really not hit the shores of North America. But then it did. Then we started hearing about the first case, I think it was Oregon or Washington State, and then another case maybe in New York. But still, in a country of 330 million, you know, what's, what's a dozen or a half dozen cases? Not much. But there were predictions that were already beginning to filter out, that this thing was going to be massive, huge, and it was going to encompass the entire globe. Now, honestly, two years ago, I wasn't so certain that could happen. But in my discussion with my friend, I said, if it is something that massive, that big, that huge, and you know, maybe we need to be prepared because we don't know. And hopefully, I remember saying this, Hopefully, it'll be much ado about nothing, and that all this planning we may have to do, well, it'll be a good exercise to be ready for something big if it ever occurs. So I left it at that, and I said, just let me know in a week or so what you have in mind. That's two years ago this weekend that I had that conversation with a good friend of mine. Two years ago, the chatter from the talking heads on television, for example, two years ago, they were beginning to make some predictions that if, in fact, this was going to be a global event, a lot of people may get sick and, and there may be some shortages of certain essentials, and, and people started stocking up. I noticed in the grocery store two years ago, all of a sudden, the number of rolls of things, basic items like paper towels and especially toilet paper, were getting in short supply with, with limits being placed on how much you could buy at one time. And still, we, we didn't think much about it. It kind of reminds me if you live in South Carolina or the mountains of Georgia and the word snow comes into the vocabulary you know, everybody runs out and, and buys milk and bread and a bunch of essentials just in case they can't get out and do anything for several days or a week. People instinctively begin to prepare. Nothing wrong with that. As the days continued to progress during that time, two years ago, more cases started to appear in the United States. And I got the second phone call. It looks like we're going to be budgeting for a major event. Are you still on board? And I said yes, and, 
And it was right about the end of February, beginning of March, that I got in the family car and I started driving from our home in Florida to our home in Georgia, which would be on the way in order to get all the things that I was going to need uh, to, to work. I had a computer up there that I could, I could pick up and I had some other resources and materials and I wanted to be prepared to hang out there for two, three, or four weeks till, you know, till the storm would pass by. That's what we were thinking two years ago. How long would this last? A month, two months, two weeks, maybe three? Nobody really knew how long this would last. Most people thought that, hey, when springtime rolls around in, you know, end of March, and we start seeing the warmer weather, this, 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 this will just pass by, and we'll get back with our lives, and we're not going to worry too much. It's also two years ago we started hearing about how you could be tested to find out if you had acquired this uh, very scary virus from China that now is spreading into the United Kingdom and, like I say, Germany and Italy and other places around the world. I can remember on my drive to Georgia... It was rather strange. I got off this exit on Interstate 75. I'm probably an hour and a half, two hours south of Atlanta. And and I realized that all the dining rooms of the fast food places were closed. You could only do, you know, window service. You only could do the drive-through. And I thought, man, these people are really taking this seriously. I know where we lived in Florida, they hadn't quite gotten that bad, but they were beginning around the country to, to you know, take some precautions. Yeah, let's, let's close the dining room. Even when I checked into a hotel heading north, they, they already had some restrictions in place. They had a table in the lobby where you would keep around six to eight feet away from the person uh, behind the desk at the hotel. And they had the credit card machine and everything else. And he basically, you signed up, and uh, then he would toss you your key. And, and I noticed that their normal morning breakfast had been suspended. This is two years ago. The beginnings of this, people thinking, okay, we're going to hunker down for just a little while here and take some precautions. And when this thing blows over, hey, we're, we're going to be back to normal. Remember those days? Remember how you felt? Concerned, but but not too worried yet. I got to the home in Georgia the next day and uh, rested and started getting my gear together. And I'm watching a lot of news. And, and I'm seeing even more how this thing is multiplying. And it's showing up in a lot of places in the United States, especially places near international airports like Atlanta, New York, Los Angeles, uh, Detroit, Michigan, and just to name a couple off the top of my head. Boston was another one where some cases are beginning to be identified in places where international travel is fairly commonplace and, and a large part of their economy. And I then completed my, my journey to my destination, and I checked into the hotel that was provided. And this was a big hotel. I think it was like four stories high and had many, many rooms, had restaurants and everything. But all the restaurants are now closed. All the amenities are pretty well shut down. There was two people on staff at this big hotel 
That's it, just two people. And for the time being, they only had a handful of rooms that they would be renting out, and only for those that were in that community on emergency or official business. They, they were discouraging people traveling for at least a little while. So I checked into this hotel, and the person I used to work for and I, we met, we met that night. Um, we sat and talked about what next, and the other members of the team showed up. And we tried to get a strategy of what we're going to do to deal with something like what could be. Remember, the word pandemic had not exactly gotten into the, to the vocabulary just yet. This was a, a medical situation or a medical emergency of concern. And we're beginning to get some information out of England, the Imperial College which everybody claimed at that time was going to be the gold standard of how to be prepared. And that same weekend that I arrived at my destination, I started looking at the reports and the, the stuff that most people don't see in the newsrooms about what the projections were going to be across the United States. How many people they anticipated being infected with this this virus, and it appeared to have a really, really bad death rate initially from what we were told. And we were given some scary numbers as I sat in that meeting and, and opened that notebook that I was given with all the material that had been assembled. And I realized it's something really big. How big it was going to be and all that would be attached to it over the next two years, you would have never have thought about it, guessed it at all. I was looking at something, a scenario, that this is going to go on for several weeks or maybe a couple, a few months, and then it's going to fade into obscurity. People started making comparisons to the Spanish flu of 1918, 1919. A lot of people getting sick, and how are we going to deal with this? The county in which I served, and those that listen to this program and have over the past 18 or so months, you know that... The projections we were given in a county of 300,000, a county of 300,000, we would have approximately 3,000 people die before this thing would come to an end, maybe around the summer. Remember, that's how, that was our mindset back in February and, and March of 2020. It's going to be huge. It's going to be big. We're going to have to use hand sanitizer. We're going to have to wash. We're going to have to social distance. All these things started coming into our vocabulary. And, and me, being somebody that truly cares about helping other people, I'm going to do my job. Half my job is getting information to the public. The other half is to work with all those in planning, to coordinate, and then coordinate that information back to the public. Back in 2020, I didn't see any sinister agenda behind any of this yet. But truthfully, it did not take very long. I had arrived at my destination probably the first weekend in the month of March. And I was ready to hit the ground running on that Monday. And the night before, as I said, we had gathered together at that hotel, those that had come in to stay and help, and were making, okay, where do we start? What is the first thing we need to do? 
They were already beginning to figure out how to get some testing sites going, and we're beginning to get inside information you didn't hear just quite yet. Like I say, these really scary numbers that could happen. And how do we avoid those numbers? What can we do to hurry this situation? The word pandemic was just beginning to come into play at that time. And during that that week, there was a lot of information that was shared and pushed out of of, uh, the federal government to the state governments and then on down to the local level of emergency management. Like I say, the numbers were scary. So we had to make plans for what do we do with a hospital that may get overwhelmed? Where are we going to put these people if they're getting sick? How are we going to deal with it? We started laying the groundwork on that first day. Where are we going to put those infected people that are of of the homeless community? What hotels could be, be rented for that purpose to isolate those that are infected? And what do we do with the scary number of people that could die? Now, if you think about it, in any given year, about eight or nine people out of a thousand die in, in any particular community in the United States and other parts of the Western world. Old age, just whatever. Eight people out of about a thousand every year. So over time, here's the reality. If you have a county of, let's say, 300,000 people and somewhere between 8.4, 8.7, whatever the number is, of people that would just naturally die, to be expected to die, like I say, from all causes, whether it be disease, whether it be old age, an accident. In a county like the one I was serving, over the course of 12 months, you would have around mm, 2,700 people would die in a county that size. Sounds like a lot, but really that's what it is. But we were now being given this information that in a short amount of time, like from the beginning of March and then April, May, and June, and maybe as as much as early July, there could be 3,000 additional deaths. 3,000. That information had been gleaned by the Imperial College of London that had all these projections that they had done with computer models and studies. And so all of us in the emergency management business, two years ago, this is the data we were given. And we're seeing the case numbers beginning to rise. And there would be a trajectory that it could be possible if it kept growing to actually see those incredibly high numbers. So we planned for it. We planned for overwhelmed hospitals. We, we found a nursing school at a college. And we took over that nursing school building because it had many, you know, rooms set up like a uh, hospital room. And we made them real hospital rooms. We were going to be ready for this onslaught when it came. I can remember I can remember being at this place when this big tractor trailer came full of equipment, extra beds, extra materials, all the things, protective gear, you name it, all the stuff you would need in an emergency such as we were looking at. Once again, remember, This is 2020, not the end of 2020 or the beginning of 2021. The politics of an election, they were beginning to change. All of a sudden, the rallies started to uh, stop. Joe Biden in the United States was then doing his campaign from the basement of his home in Delaware. 
and the narrative. And the Dr. Fauci daily updates and briefings with Dr. Burks and and Vice President Mike Pence and the President of the United States, Donald Trump. And if you live in Canada, the same thing was going on there as well. If you lived in the United Kingdom, anywhere in Europe, the Western world, this was becoming the talking point. And so we made our plans for these big numbers in 2020. We worked every day to make sure we were ready that we had stockpiled the things that we needed, that we could deal with this particular thing when it would unravel. And as we got through the month of March, in the middle of the month of March, that's when you first heard people talking about a pause or we're going to you know, take a break and we're going to shut things down. And, and what we need to do, we know that so many people are going to get sick, so many people are going to die, But if we are still functioning as normal, it's going to happen rather quickly. And the entire system, the entire health system would collapse under the weight of all these sick patients and individuals. And so we heard that for the first time, 15 days to flatten the curve, beginning, I think, on a Saturday or a Friday night or whatever it was, we're going to stop everything for the next two weeks. All, you heard this term for the first time, only absolutely essential businesses on a limited basis could remain open. Restaurants that have drive-through windows or can provide uh, at-the-door service where you pick your stuff up with social distancing, you could do that. But most small businesses were told to shut down for two weeks. Pretty much all the restaurants, all the gyms and those things, getting a haircut, all of that was going to be suspended for about two weeks, 15 days to flatten the curve. We knew that when you flatten the curve, the same number of people were going to get sick and die regardless. Is it going to be over the course of weeks or the course of many months? So we don't overwhelm the system. You remember those days. I'm sure most of you do. And so I'm working on this list of essential and non-essential. I'm working with people in our county government to get an idea of how we're going to do this. The federal government was promising, what, $1,200 to everybody? You know, husband and wife, I think, got $2,400. And this this would take the sting out of not being able to work and have an income for a couple of weeks. And so we all planned for it. And we had projections even at that time in the middle of March, how many people would get sick in our county, how many would probably die in our county. And during that two-week period, those numbers never came about, nowhere near those numbers. I mean, it was crazy a lot less than we were being told it was going to be. Well, maybe it's going to happen in April. Well, we got into April. And it still didn't happen as they predicted. And then we got into May, and, you know, we're we're a tiny little itty-bitty fraction of the predicted numbers. None of our extra hospital beds were ever needed. The big hospital in that community had shut most of it down except for the emergency room and and things that had to be done for life-threatening illnesses. You know, all elective surgeries done. Dentist offices are closed. Everything 
you, you, for these, this time. And many were still closed. You know, two weeks to flatten the curve became three, became four. Churches were shut down for those two weeks, and then they continued to stay shut down. You could go to the Walmart. You could go to the liquor store. You could get gasoline at a convenience store. But most things were shut down. You could get in a long line at a fast food place because all the other restaurants were told they can't be open. And so that's how this whole thing began. And then the political narrative started to change. We need to plan for the election with all these sick people, you know, drop boxes, mail-in ballots, all of it started to come into play by the summer. By the time May had rolled around, I realized all these predictions are not happening. So I told them I'm leaving. You don't need to be paying me. What we predict, what was being predicted is not occurring. If it changes in the next month or two, I'll come back. If not, well, I'm, I'm heading home. And that's what I did. I went back to Florida. And I picked up my wife, and we came up in the end of May uh, to spend our summer. And it was during that time that I prayed about this. And, and the idea for this radio program came about. We have seen in these two years how governments, how political interests, how globalists have used it to really push an agenda. It had nothing to do with death or illnesses and, and numbers that were skewed. You know, somebody with five life-threatening illnesses could die of COVID, and, and those were in the numbers. I started seeing that already in May. And I realized this is going to be milked for something, and I don't know what it is. And by the summer, I decided it was time to do this program. And here we are now, two years later. And the, and the narrative, as I told you back in December, is going to unravel, and it's unraveling quickly. Oh, yeah, you see, some places are still trying to hold on for dear life to the restrictions. Others are saying, we're done. COVID is over. As I mentioned the other day, on the program. What is going to be the next event? You think that these people are going to retreat? Do you think they're going to just play dead? And no, they're going to let go of this narrative, give us a little breather as they as they get the next thing in play, the next scary event. It's already on the drawing board, just like COVID was way back in 2019 and before. I, I came to conclude from all that I could see that it came out of a lab in Wuhan. I knew that in May. I knew that really in, in uh, April of 2020. But you couldn't say it. That was not the approved narrative. And that's why this program, Truth to Ponder, was born. And as we are watching the death throes of COVID, so to speak, and people beginning to walk back, don't think life is ever coming back to normal. In these two years, the tech tyrants, those in government, have done everything to take away your ability to communicate freely with other people. The term misinformation, you've heard it all. You and I have heard every bit of it over and over again. And so when does it end? I believe even the most draconian governments are going to have to let go. And they're gonna to try to do it in such a way as not to look like fools, though many people will realize that they are. And 
they're going to give us some of our rights back. But many of these things about information and misinformation will never go away. They'll be amplified and they'll be ready for the next challenge we face. Will you be ready for that next challenge? We'll talk about that on the other side. If you believe in the ministry of Truth to Ponder and being on shortwave radio, would you consider helping us with the monthly financial bill? If you can, mail a check payable to Ancient Word Radio. And the mailing address is 5753 Highway 85 North, 5753 Highway 85 North, number 3248, number 3248. And we are in Crestview, Crestview, Florida, 32536. That's 32536. And we'll be back after this break. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. The Gift Heart coming up. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Messiah is a gift. Salvation's a gift. So those who are saved have to have the evidence of salvation. So what is it? Well, if you received a gift, then your life must be characterized by the gift. Well, what's the first evidence that you've received a gift? Well, the first evidence is that you have something. Your life is characterized by having. You have something. No, I'm not speaking about your bank account or material possessions, but about your heart and your spirit. See, if you live with an attitude of lack and want and never having enough and always wanting more and needing more and having to get more to be happy or have peace, well, then you're testifying against the gift. You can't claim to have received the gift and then go around wrapped up in what you don't have. If you're dwelling on what you don't have, if you're running around after what you don't have, then it's not a life that has evidence of what you do have, the gift. If you received a gift, then your life is characterized by that. Special things, a special thing has come into your life. Now you've got something. It doesn't matter how much is going on in your circumstance because you have a reassurance. It doesn't matter what's happening on the outside because on the inside you have. We have this treasure. We have this confidence, it's written. We have. So stop dwelling on what's going on in the world and what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. You have this treasure, my friend. You have this confidence. You have this hope. You have this salvation. You have him. Live like it. It's the secret of your life. You have. Want more? Ask for the power of the gift. Now, how often do you get something offered to you priceless and life-changing and free after salvation? Well, here goes. Sapphires, as precious as it sounds, guaranteed to help you live a life of uh, joy and victory in the Lord. And the mystery of the temple doors, you'll love it. It's priceless, it's free. How do you get it? Easy. Just remember Jesus' real Hebrew name, Yeshua, and you just call. You just call 1-800-YESHUA-1. You will be blessed. And that is 1-800-YESHUA-1. I invite you to join me in bringing salvation back to God's ancient nation, Israel, and the unreached peoples on five continents, over a billion people. It's amazing. Imagine you could cover the entire earth, the planet, with salvation. Well, you can, in a sense, through shortwave radio. It's like blanketing the earth. It's amazing. The farthest way you can ever spread the gospel. You can do it. We do it every week. Have a part. Just call 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. You can write me direct. The Nice Jewish Boy, Box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. That's Box 1111, Lodi, New Jersey, 07644. Well, till next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying, Live with the joy of the gift. Peace be to you, my friend, and Messiah, Hamatan, the gift of God. This is Truth to Ponder 
with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of our weekend edition of Truth to Ponder, and I'm your host, Bob Bierman. Well, the last segment, I kind of took you through the two years that we've been through. You saw how it all began and how it just never went away. It faded down, came back, faded away, came back, and the vaccines, the passports, the control, all of that started to come into play. And we're going to be talking about the what's going to be left over from this pandemic and how the world will change moving forward on our episodes next week. But it was two years ago this weekend I got that phone call and it was also scheduled to preach on that Sunday morning after that Saturday night phone call. And the sermon I had in mind that I had kind of made notes for suddenly seemed not the sermon I should be preaching. Instead, God laid some words in my heart that night as I slept before my church service. Like I say, we were just beginning to see the shortages of this, that, and the other, and people concerned, is this ever going to hit here? And, and I got up to preach, and the sermon that I had my notes for, I threw aside. And I just let God speak through my heart. And I, I look back now, and I was kind of predicting some of the things that were going to be occurring, not, not that I really knew that I was, as I look back over this period of two years. So I want to take you back with me two years ago to a church in South Florida where I was scheduled to preach, and I just really felt that I had to give this message of fear not. Don't let this overwhelm you. It's the most important thing you're going to hear today. Even though many would refuse to listen to that message, uh, they still went into fear mode, and many still are. Let's go back two years ago this weekend. Heavenly Father, as we come to this time of hearing your word, studying your word, may you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, but most important, our hearts to receive that which you have for us. For this I ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm glad to see you here today. Has anybody by chance watched the news at all, or are we kind of out of it and we just ignore it? A little of both. I'm seeing something in my lifetime that I don't think has been around since the Second World War. This fear in the hearts of people. There are two words that Jesus says over and over and over again to his own disciples who follow him, who should know better than most. What are those two words? Fear not. Fear not. Whether you're out on the water, fear not. Whatever this world brings to us, fear not. This is the lesson of Scripture, to fear not. Now, obviously in our human nature, that's easier said than done. I have watched for several weeks, as all of you have, as this crisis, I guess, 
that is sweeping the land has driven people to fear everything. People are fearing the Lord's body and blood. My God, I might get something. If Jesus is truly present, I have a hard time believing that. I was talking to a good friend of mine. He has been an emergency manager for a long, long time. I worked for him for about five years. He called me up last night, and we chatted about what's going on in this world today and how their community up in North Carolina, if anybody knows where Asheville and Buncombe County is, he started telling me all the things that they're doing. He said, basically it's what you and I did back with the N1H1 all over again. He said, how would you like to make some extra money? I said, how's that? Um, I kind of need you up here. Would you want to come up to North Carolina in about a week or two and spend a month up here to run the emergency operations center? I said, yeah, why not? For that kind of money, why not? We are preparing for what we, in our minds, for the maximum of maximums. That's a term that Fred Fugate, the former head of FEMA, once said. We prepare for the maximum of maximums. We hope that they never occur. I never thought in my 65 years that I would see the price of two rolls of Charmin being worth more than crack cocaine on the street. <laughs> but we've come to this point of fear. We've lost rationality, and many live in fear. Of course, I'm going to take precautions. We should all take precautions every flu season, though many don't which is why many get the flu to begin with. We are probably seeing a lot of young teenagers wash their hands for the very first time on a regular basis because they don't want to come down with this. My heart shares this message with you today. Listen, trust, and fear not. You know, even the disciples after Jesus' ascension that ministered all over the known world, they gave their life for the cause of Christ, yet they feared not. Martin Luther, in his hymn, A Mighty Fortress, alludes to the fact it's not what somebody can do to your body, it's what the enemy can do to steal your soul that you must remember. Fear not in this transient life. Today we heard a reading from the book of Psalms, one of my favorites, and those that remember the old liturgy of morning prayer or in some churches matins, how often do we sing this Come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. You, you hear all these words, and normally we stop the music halfway into verse 7. For he is our God, and we are the sheep of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. 
And I think a lot of people think that's the entire summation of the 95th Psalm. But it didn't end there, and we didn't end it there today. The other half of verse 7. Today, if ye hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. The psalmist is referring to what we saw in our Old Testament lesson. We have no water. We're thirsty. We want something to drink. The children of Israel leaving Egypt has always been a fascinating study for me. For quite a long time, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, was held in captivity as slaves in the country of Egypt. And they mourned and they cried to be released from this bondage. Get us out of Egypt. We are tired of the slave labor. We are tired of being whipped. We are tired of being oppressed. We are tired of living in fear. And God sends them a Moses to lead them out of captivity, to lead them out of bondage. And we see the hand of God in miracle after miracle preparing them to be released from the bondage of Egypt. And eventually, after the Passover, Pharaoh relents and off they go, though they were pursued. God parted the water for them to escape and then drowned the horsemen in the sea. Remember that psalm, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Yet the children of Israel, after seeing all that God could do, what did they do for the next 40 straight years? They complained, they murmured, they failed to trust. You know why they had to be in the wilderness for 40 years? So every one of the ones that left Egypt would be dead, and only their descendants would arrive. God had to purge the unbelief out of his own people in the desert. You know how many miles it is from where they were in Egypt to the Promised Land? That's the longest 35-mile journey ever known to mankind, being wandered around the desert. 40 years. They made it roughly 40 miles. It wasn't a long trip. Remember, Mary and Joseph made the trip from Jerusalem in a, in a couple of days with a donkey. They were blinded in the wilderness and didn't know where they were for 40 years. Even after everything that God had done, Moses strikes the rock. There's water. 
We have no food. There's manna. Boy, the onions back in Egypt sound good. Shut up. There are two words that God said to his people in those 40 years over and over and over again. Those are don't murmur. Don't complain and talk to me under your breath. I am the Lord your God who has delivered you out of the Pharaoh's hand of Egypt after how many years of bondage? They didn't even remember a time in their history that they were free. It had been so long. Yet God performs miracles and they still complained. They still looked unto their own personal needs and their own personal desires and their own personal fears. That's why they wanted to go back to Egypt. You have brought us out into this desert. We have nothing. We have no food. We have no water. We have no, no, we, we. Let's go back to Egypt. We had food there. So we had to work a little. Notice how the mind forgets. Not long ago I did a radio show and I'm talking about how our minds deceive us, how we think how great things were back in 1973 or 1971. And you think of the music, the people, oh, it was just great. And then if you really search your memory banks, you suddenly remember all the things that went wrong, all the difficulties you faced, friendships that fell apart. We conveniently forget the bad and remember the good. The good old days were not necessarily all that good. They were like any other day, filled with good, bad, indifferent. In these days, weeks, and months ahead, we will see this crisis pass. We're not all going to die. And even if we did, if we trust Jesus as our Savior, peace be unto us, for he is with us. Jesus told his disciples as he left this earth, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of this age, this world, this time, this understanding that we live in. For see, God is not confined. This is a discussion I've had with a number of people, my wife included. We have to recognize something about the sovereignty of God. He's not trapped in the, in the dynamics we understand and the dimensions in which we live. Today, yesterday, and tomorrow are all in his hand. For he dwells in all of it. He transcends our time and our space. And we have a hard time in our human mind understanding what that means. One of the things that my, our, our brethren in some churches miss when it comes to communion, and it took me a while to wrap my head around it when I was studying for the diaconate. Even though I had always talked about the real presence in the communion service, it finally dawned on me 
when I finally understood the word used in Scripture for do this in remembrance of me, anamatesis, which means bringing the things of the past into the present as in real time. That's kind of a hard concept. We say it in our prayer every Sunday here, and those not yet here. We're not talking about those that should be here that live in Port St. Lucie or Stewart. We're talking about those not even born yet that'll be a part of Christ's triumphant church. Those not even here yet. We're praying for those that haven't even been born yet. And in our communion, we are drawn into this momentary dynamic that God lives in, that transcends all time and all space. We commune with all the believers from the beginning until the end of this age. And we don't realize it. That psalm, that psalm, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Forty years ago, I was grieved with this generation, and I said, it is a people that do err in their hearts. They err in their heart. You know, poor Israel, given for our example, they had this bad habit of being blessed so much by God than taking him thoroughly for granted, forgetting all about all the things he has done. And they cease to worship and give him praise and honor and glory that he is due. And God, in his mercy and in his sovereignty, obliges them. Fine. You do it your way. I'm going to go over here for a season. And with that hand of protection gone, they keep getting enslaved. You want to be in bondage to your sin? Let me show you what bondage really feels like. These days and weeks ahead, for many will be a challenge. Many are afraid. I get it. I understand it. And I get to help alleviate fears if I get called and head up to North Carolina for a season to help be a public information officer to get information out and hopefully stop the panic a little bit. They say they want to flatten this curve. I get it. In other words, instead of having it spike and a lot of people having it all at once, they want to flatten that curve where less will be exposed. And I think that all the dramatic measures we're taking, we haven't seen these kind of measures since 1918 being taken with a medical problem. It's been a long time. And we'll get through it like we do every year. I will not live in fear. That's just me. I believe what God's Word says. That's why I'm here. 
I asked the question yesterday, are we meeting or not? Not that I wanted to not. I just wanted to know if anybody else was going to be here or not. I'm happy to be here. One of my favorite hymns, which is really for the transfiguration, "'Tis good, Lord, to be here. Thy glory fills this place." We are here in his presence and in his glory because this is the real hospital we need for ourselves and our lives and our spirit to be in this place. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we could gather here in your word, in this place. Lord, I understand the fear that many have in their hearts. It's not easy, especially when you're being bombarded day in and day out. I understand. Lord, I pray that the comfort of your Holy Spirit abide in each and every one of us. Let us be practical. Let us be, as you teach us, to be reasoned. But most important, to be trusting. Help us to trust and obey what you call us to faithfully do each and every week. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of his glory and grace Turn your eyes to the hillside Where justice and mercy
I hope that message you just heard is an encouragement to you as we leave one crisis behind and prepare for the next. You can be rest assured there will be plenty of challenges coming down the road. I don't think life as we once knew it is ever going to come back to normal. But we that are people of faith need to work together, pray together, build together to be ready for the next time the shoe drops. That's the message I have for you today on this program. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And next week, we're going to begin to think about what's coming next. And believe me, there's plenty coming uh, for 2022, 2023. It's time we get ready. Let me ask you a favor. If this program is a blessing at all, would you send me an email so I know that you're listening and how? I'm not going to cultivate an email list. I just want to know that you're out there. My address is bob at truth2ponder.com. Bob at truth2ponder.com. If you can help us financially, mail a check payable to Ancient Word Radio, 5753 Highway 85 North, number 3248. 5753 Highway 85 North, number 3248. We are in Crestview, Crestview, Florida, 32536. May God bless you until next week. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.